go-getters and just going to betters. It's the pre-W Smith Show with Jeff Sloan on 760 WJR. All right, welcome back to the pre-W Smith Show. Now turning our attention to sports. Always love that. And uh, we've got an expert, as we always do. He's our guy, Michael Spath, joining us now to talk about and to, you know, take a look back and kind of give us a high-level overview of how he sees the 2022 college season having played out. You know, uh, certainly we know Georgia ended up being the national champion. They beat TCU in the championship game. Michael, they were impressive. Georgia was really impressive. They dominated in their national championship game. Looking back on the season, how do you feel about this team? Well, I mean, obviously back-to-back national champions is impressive and leaves you in the dynasty space, uh, coupled with the fact that they had been in the college football playoff just a couple of years before that. And they are the preeminent program in college athletics. They've taken the mantle away from Alabama. They've taken the mantle away from Clemson. Now it's Georgia's show and everybody else is trying to compete with them. The way that Ohio State was able to go toe-to-toe with them is there's a handful of schools, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and USC is going to get there that are recruiting at a different level than anybody else in college football. And so when you have the ability to match Georgia five-star for five-star, you can play a game like that when you come out and perform your best. And look, I think Ohio State was ready to play Michigan a couple weeks back, but I think Michigan punched them in the mouth and Ohio State wasn't ready for that type of physicality. But since then, they had recovered. I think that they had gotten themselves locked in and they were ready to play a Georgia team. And they showed out. They showed out. They lost by you know one point. They had a chance right. to win it with right. a field goal at the end. You know, the the debate among Michigan fans is whether or not they would have put up a better fight against Georgia than TCU. I think they mm, would have. Yeah. But but Georgia's in a different class. I was going to you know, say better at, isn't yeah. going to be good enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, I know? Mean, you look at, yeah. you know, there's a website, 24-7 Sports, that does a, every year they, they put together like the best rosters in college football. And Georgia has the best roster. They have the most five stars. They have the most four stars. They have, you know, everything you could possibly want. And again, there's only a handful of teams that are going to be able to match them from a physical Mm -hmm. uh, talent standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, And what the question is, is like, are those the only teams that are going to be able to compete with them for a national championship? Or is there a way to do it where you can develop? I I don't know the answer is yes, because TCU and Michigan were those two teams, and neither one of them could compete with Georgia this year. Yeah, so another mystery from me, and again, you know, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm certainly no expert, so I observe these things and don't really there's things that get illuminated that I don't understand. One of which is this: you got Michigan manhandling Ohio State, uh-huh. and then you've got TCU. Essentially, I don't know if I'd call it manhandling, but really, you know, taking care of business with respect to Michigan, that's for sure. And then you've got Ohio State, who Michigan manhandled, running toe to toe with Georgia, and Georgia uh-huh. then beating TCU. You know, really handily. How does all that happen? How does a Michigan team get by Ohio State the way they did, yet get whooped by TCU and so on and so on? How, how does that happen? You know what? I've talked to so many players, so many coaches over the years, and you hear this all the time. And when you're a young athlete growing up and you go to your first basketball camp or your first uh, hockey camp or something like that, the instructor says, you know, the old cliche, well, the sport is 90% mental and 10% physical or 80% mental and 20% physical. But I think that's really the case. And when you see it in college athletics, especially, and even in the pro ranks, 
you go and look and see how many times that a, a team that's favored to win has an off day. I think it's all about where you are mentally on that particular day and what you've done in the five days and the six days and the seven days leading up to the game to prepare yourself. And have you have you put yourself in the best position to be successful? And I think the answer is a lot of times it's no, that Ohio State on that particular day did not match Michigan for mental attentiveness, mental acuity, mental you know energy and intensity. They didn't match Michigan, and Michigan was able to exploit the mental edge that they had over Ohio State. You go a couple weeks later, and, and Ohio State is locked in. They're in the zone, and so they're able to go toe-to-toe with Georgia. You look at the Michigan-TCU game, and Michigan committed five massive blunders that yeah. they hadn't committed all year yeah. long. Yeah. What do you attribute that to? Is that physical? Well, no, They physically, they're a better team on paper than TCU. It was mentally. Mentally, they were not in a position, they were not ready to counter where TCU was. TCU was the team with everything, uh, the chip on the shoulder. TCU was right. the underdog. TCU was coming into the game with with no pressure on their shoulders. Michigan had all the pressure on their shoulders. So I think it's people overlook this a lot, but the mental side of the game, when you look at a team that is supposed to win and loses, almost all the time it comes down to they somehow were not mentally prepared for their opponent. And the opponent was in this great space where they were just playing loose, playing free, nothing to lose, and they go out there and take care of business. Really interesting, kind of similar to what happened in the Ohio State-Georgia game. You know, Ohio State came with a big chip on their shoulder. They certainly had something to prove. In any case, uh, I find it all really fascinating. Let's take a look forward now quickly in the few minutes we have left. You know, this transfer portal, NIL, name, image, likeness deals is really reshaping college football significantly. What are you seeing and what do you think's ahead? Well, I tell you something that popped up recently was at the University of Michigan, Valiant Management Group and one of the collectives created a one more year fund. Now, a year ago, we had seen this. In fact, we a number of players locally decided to come back for, for one more season. And we had heard, you and I had heard through the grapevine that they had gotten a nice name, image, and likeness deal. And they were getting compensated more through name, image, and likeness. Hunter Dickinson is one of them to come back for his junior year than he would have made in the NBDL or mm-hmm. overseas. Mm-hmm. Well, now you see collectives that are saying, hey, you know, it's hard to recruit. It's hard to go up against the best programs like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State for the five stars. But guess what? If we have a 22-year-old who has been through the grind, who has come out on top, who has developed, that guy is much more important to us than the 18-year-old. Sure, and so sure. we'd, re- we'd like to keep the 22-year-old in place. Think about Michigan State this past year. They had a bad season for football, went 5-7. and seven. If they had Kenneth Walker for one more year, right. what would it have meant to them? Sure. A year ago, you couldn't compete with the NFL. He wasn't a first-round draft pick, but you said, like, ah, if he goes in the second or third round, he's going to get a million bucks. Well, if you can put together some of these collectives and say, hey, we're going to take the three or four best players that have a chance to either go to the NFL or the NBA or come back for another season, we're going to give these guys 500000 800000 a million dollars to come back for one more year. And I don't think, Jeff, when we talk about those players, we're not talking about the first-round draft picks, right? The first-round draft picks are going to go. They have to go. There's too much money involved. The NBA and the NFL guarantee contracts to the first-rounders that is just so overwhelmingly you can't pass that up. That's sure. life. That's, that's life-changing. Life-changing money, yeah. But there's a lot of guys who leave – 
in, especially for the NFL, and they're going to be third-round picks. Mm-hmm. They're going to be fourth-round picks. Well, a third-round pick, the average salary is around, I think it's like $650,000 per year. Mm-hmm. The fourth round, it's you know a little bit less than that. And so is their name, image, and likeness money that can compete with that and gives the guy a chance to come back and maybe work his way up from the third round to the second round, from the fourth round to the third round, something mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. I think that is, you know, in 2023, I think we're going to see a lot more of the fringe players who could go pro deciding to come back because of NIL deals that make it uh, advantageous for them to do so. Really interesting. All right, Michael Spath, thanks. We always appreciate your insight and intelligence on the subject of sports and and beyond, frankly. We appreciate you. And uh, I'm going to run to a break. Back with more in a minute right here on the Pre-W Smith Show. 